Hey, so what's going on, guys? It's Anthony and Brandon. We're here um, sharing about some of the biggest topics that you need to keep in mind as you go forward with preparing for college auditions, with actually walking in the room, uh, mindset. You know, we've had the fortune of uh, coaching you guys and, and, and talking with you guys all around the world uh, over these past few years that we've been coaching you. And, and not only we take from our own experience, but we, we learn from the students uh, that we coach who, who have gotten into these great programs. So this is the solid advice you can take with you um, on a variety of topics. So I'm going to let Brandon kind of ask the questions that we've gathered. I've got some answers that I've kind of notated for myself to jog my memory. But basically, this is kind of just, you know, what it would be like if we got on the phone and just kind of talked about college auditions and the biggest things to remember. So I hope that makes sense. Brandon, let's kick it off. Great. So one of the one of the questions that we get a lot is one of the most important things to keep in mind as you prepare for college auditions. Big question. And, it, and it's a big, simple answer. Um, biggest things to keep in mind throughout your college audition preparation, even through the actual audition, is three things. Write them down. Number one, quality of work. Number two, ability to take direction. Number three, good attitude. Let me quickly expand on those. Quality of work obviously means work that is, you know, personally, you, you have an emotional connection to, you're believable, you're making interesting choices. You obviously, you know, it goes without saying, you're, you're memorized beyond belief, you, you know, no problems. Um, quality of work, authentic, interesting choices, connected emotionally, and really going after something, being a character, right? Really being a high quality of work. Second thing, ability to take direction. Schools don't want you too polished. They don't want you to bring in some sort of like cardboard uh, performance, right? Or a pre-planned performance that they can't even mess with. If they say, hey, that was great, can you do it like a wolf? Or, hey, that was great. Um, can you, like for me, they asked me to change the environment entirely. They asked me to change it from where it was set to actually like doing the monologue at my father's grave. Well, do you have the ability to take that direction? Can you just say, yeah, yeah, sure. A instead of going, well, I mean, that's not where it's set. So I don't know what you want me to do right? That's an actor who's either too set in their own ways and not able to really play, or, you know, you just don't have a good enough handle the monologue that you can go different directions with it. You want to be malleable. You want to be able to take direction. I hope that's clear. Number three is the good attitude. You can have a great piece. You can be incredibly talented and you can go left and right with the piece, whatever they ask. But if you, if you, if you're just off-putting, like if you make a, a, a nasty comment about the school or if you're not listening to what the auditors are saying, you're just, you're just not in the room with them. You're in your own world spouting your own things and going nuts. Remember, this is not for a role that you're auditioning for where they're only with you for a short period of time in a specific project. You're auditioning basically to be with someone for four years. So they have to know that not only are you going to be inspiring artistically and you know you can grow with our program but we are also going to enjoy time with you you're going to contribute to the class environment you're going to contribute to the school environment we would be proud to have you at our school so you know i know that's pretty obvious but for anybody who you know artists are quirky people and you know you want to make sure that you bring quality art while still having a good attitude um and so i think that that's a good way to put it um and those are the things you want to focus on i think that's great that's great Question number two that we get a lot is when it comes to choosing monologues, what do you recommend? Yes, this is a very big question. I'll try to kind of machine gun through some of these because it's, it's a lot, but I think it's all pretty simple. First and foremost, when you're choosing monologues, the main thing you need to have is a connection to the piece. Uh, there's a common saying that we say at How to Get into Drama School. It's not about the piece. It's about your relationship to the piece. So, you know, don't go chasing, you know, this famous monologue or that famous monologue. Go chasing monologues that you feel you're close to. Monologues that excite you to, 
to tell that story or to play that character or to be in that moment and to express what that character is expressing. So that's the first thing is personal connection. Which pieces do you actually respond to and do you connect to? Second thing uh, a lot of people talk about is, should I do an age appropriate piece or should I do, you know, can I, is everything fair game? And let's talk about that. Look, age appropriate is going to be kind of a, an easy thumbs up. If it's, if it's your age or around your age, you know, it's going to be, you know, good as long as you respond to it, like that's okay. But it's not a bad thing to do something that may be outside of your age range. Let's say like a 40 year old who, you know, her husband had an affair on him and now she's throwing plates in this intense, dramatic powerhouse monologue. Hey, if you respond to that piece, somehow you understand the emotional journey of it. You don't have to necessarily have been married and then been cheated on in order to understand and, and de deliver a great monologue. Um, but I do think the farther away it gets from your personal connection, you just have to be aware of that. Um, you know, it's, it's not wise to do a character. Please don't, uh, do a 60 year old and like, you know, pretend like you have a cane, right? You don't want to like step into some other age, but if you can authentically as you, uh, tell that story of that moment, it, it's possible to totally rock that in a college audition. And here's why college auditions are not auditioning for a specific play. You're not auditioning within the context of, I'm going to do this play with you. You're just telling a two minute story with no context. So it's, even if it's not a necessarily age appropriate, you can still rock it out in college auditions and people do because they connect so well to it. Um, as far as monologues go, contemporary versus classical. Some people think contemporary monologues have to be like in the last 10 years, the last 25 years or whatever. They ask, can I do Chekhov or can I do Arthur Miller, right? What's contemporary? Where's the line? Some schools will tell you where the line is. Um, so in the audition requirements, go check and make sure that the school has not mentioned something specific. If they have, you need to abide by that. But if you just want like an understanding of what's contemporary and classic, here's a good definition. Contemporary pieces are pieces that no matter when they were written, they sound of today. You can write that down and put the words of today in quotation marks. That's the key. It doesn't matter if it's a Chekhov that was written in 1901, Arthur Miller that was written in 1951, or whatever, John Patrick Shanley, 2001. Uh, as long as the monologue sounds of today, you can make that a contemporary piece. You don't want to be doing something from the 30s that sounds like, gee, Willikers, madam, why don't you hop on over here and, you know, I don't know, you know, the, those things that sound dated, you want to avoid. And, you know, even things that are written in the 90s sometimes can sound dated. Um, so anyway, that's that. When it comes to classical, look, there's no rule that says you have to do Shakespeare's verse. Um, and if you don't know the difference between Shakespeare's verse and Shakespeare's prose, please Google it. You need to understand the difference between Shakespeare's verse and Shakespeare's prose. But it, we always recommend Shakespeare's verse um, because in the classical piece, what the schools are asking to see is how you handle heightened language. And Shakespeare's verse is something that every school can uh, like that's a it's a common denominator. And so. Look, I don't think any schools are going to tell you not to bring in a classical piece like a Moliere or a Racine or a Christopher Marlowe or any other classical author. But I I have found through all these, you know, students that we have coached and all the schools they've gotten into that every school who's interested in you, they'll say, I like that piece. Do you have something like, do you have Shakespeare? Right. Uh, uh, do you have a, a Shakespeare that's in verse? Like, even if they bring in a Shakespeare prose piece, they may go, I like what you're doing. Do you have another piece that's in verse? They want to see with the classical piece that you know how to handle, or not, not that you know how, but how do you handle heightened text? And Shakespeare's verse is something that's reliable. So I'm not going to say only choose Shakespeare verse. There may be a piece that you love uh, that's from another author or is not in verse, bring that in. 
but have a Shakespeare verse in your back pocket that's just as solid. And I can tell you for sure, I did Shakespeare verse when I got into Juilliard and all the other schools. Mm -hmm. I definitely did a contemporary monologue that sounded of today. So that's contemporary versus classical. I got two other things here regarding monologues. Contrasting is a question that comes up a lot. What does contrasting even mean? And so what we say is contrasting doesn't mean comedy and drama. Like it's certainly those two do contrast. So that's an easy way to put it, but that's not like a hard and fast rule. I did two dramas when I got into Juilliard and, but they were super contrasting. So when you look at contrasting pieces, here's what you have to understand. The like, is this character a high class character, a low class character, right? If you're doing a piece that's a King and then you're doing a modern piece, that's, you know, a homeless person or, you know, maybe a, a struggling single family, you know, whatever it is, there's a whole different lens on the world and there's a whole different rhythm of speech and there's a whole different expectation when you speak to others. That's two very contrasting characters. So you could do two comedies, but one is, you know, a high class and one is a low class. As long as they're starkly contrasting, that would um, be good. Another way to contrast is, you know, kind of how the characters go about what they do. Maybe one character is just super aggressive and super expressive and super outspoken and super uh, extrovert. And the way that they're getting what they want is very one way. Well, you can find a similar, uh, like a same if it's a comedy that you're doing and it's super out, out there. You could find another comedy, but that's like one of those characters that's like almost darkly comedic where they're so nervous about themselves. They're so introverted. They're so self-deprecating that it's hilarious. You know, that's literally two very contrasting monologues. So I would say like, and also look at the situation. Are they talking to a ton of people or are they talking to one person? Are they talking to the public who doesn't know them very well? Or are they talking to their best friend or lover or, or mom and dad, someone who's very close to them? So the relationship with the other character you're talking to can provide a stark contrast. So I would encourage you to, you know, choose monologues that are very contrasting, but that doesn't mean comedy and drama. I hope that's clear. Uh, the last thing I would say about monologues is that there's ways to find monologues. And I think it's important to identify a few of those ways. It may be obvious, but it's worth mentioning. Going to libraries, going to bookstores, going to wherever your drama teacher's script collection is, and just flipping through plays is, is a great way to find monologues. Like, look for chunks of text. <laughs> that, you know, is a monologue, right? And, and start reading it. If you connect to it, if you start understanding like instinctually what what's going on here without having even read the play that's probably you've got some inherent understanding of of how this character is that might be a piece you want to put away in your back pocket as a potential um uh, if you if you instantly respond to it and you just eat it up then you know absolutely run with it get it on its feet memorize it uh so looking through plays wherever you can and looking for chunks of text and just reading them is a great way that's definitely how I found my pieces. Also, ask your mentors what pieces they suggest. They might have some recommendations just because they're more experienced than you. I know I have, me and Brandon have hundreds of monologues that mm -hmm. we just kind of know over the year. And based on kind of, you know, your personality and, and, and your artistic taste, we can recommend that uh, five or six for you. Or we can recommend an author who you remind us of, or, or you might like a lot of their work. So you go flip through some of that specific author's work. So talk to your mentors. Um, another one is think about the past work you've done. Has anyone told you that you did a really good job in this one scene from class or this, this, this one monologue you worked on in competition, or maybe you got just an overwhelming response from a play that you did when you played this one character. Look at that past work. And see if there's something, either an actual monologue you did or maybe a, a monologue from a similar play or that uh, that author wrote. Look at the past work and see if you can look in, in there for a potential audition monologue. And then, 
you know, lastly, there's nothing wrong with looking online. I will say this, that's where the biggest trap is because online is kind of the wild west. You can put anything online. Anybody can. So it's like, I don't know who this author is. You know, you got to check into that author, right? You don't want to do low quality monologues. You want the literature to be as high quality as possible. So you can trust the quality if the author has, has won a Pulitzer for drama or if they've won a Tony for their drama, you can probably trust uh, that author more than, than other authors who you haven't heard of. Now, that doesn't mean any authors you haven't heard of aren't good. There's emerging authors all the time. But, you know, it's a safe bet to go with an author that is recognized. Um, and if you really respond to something that, you know, is is not recognizable, you know, just just uh, check out to see if that piece is is good. You know, you might want to run it by some mentors and see if the difference between high quality pieces and low quality pieces is a high quality literature. You can explore it, uncover it, peel back layers endlessly. If you brought me a Tennessee Williams piece or a Annie Baker piece, right, we could work on that for years and still find new and exciting dimensions. If you brought me a piece that was, you know, just kind of flat and, you know, it it wasn't even from a play. It was just from like some sort of monologue book that, you know, whatever. Yeah, we may be able to go to a certain level with it if you connect with it and everything. But it's going to be difficult at a certain point to find deeper layers. Meanwhile, the people who are auditioning alongside you are choosing high quality pieces that they're still, you know, exploring artistically. So it's much more fruitful. That's my rant on monologues. I hope I covered everything. Um, like, yeah, I, no, I think that was a really uh, some great information that you related when it came to monologues. Um, let's move on to the next question. We always get is what kind of experience do you need to get into these top programs that we're talking about? Yeah, experience. So experience is good. It's obviously kind of an interesting question. So if, if, if you've got... Uh, if, if let's say you're a 17 year old or an 18 year old and you're just coming out of high school, if you've been doing high school work for two, three, four years, you, you know, you've got experience, right? You've, well, actually, let me not assume because some high school programs stink. Um, you know, so look, let's talk about experience and what it means. First of all, I think most schools say you don't need experience to get accepted. That's true, right? They're not going to write someone off who maybe just, absolutely bringing in great work and somehow doesn't have any experience they could you know but let's just be clear even if you don't have any experience you still have to bring in good quality work you have to be able to take direction and you have to have a good attitude right so those key things that i mentioned in the beginning still hold true Um, and it's likely that if you've got experience you you're, you're much more likely to deliver or, or know how to deliver good quality work. The concepts of emotional connection, the concepts of believability, you know, you've already kind of gone through some of those questions and, and you've learned lessons. You've, you've, a lot of trial and error in your experience has kind of given you some confidence in how to deliver quality work as opposed to someone who's not experienced. But that's not to say that someone who's not experienced can't deliver good quality work, but regardless, you got to bring in good quality work. You got to be able to take direction. So experience is good. High school experience, college experience, real world experience. Um, you know, the, the 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 only reason they would accept you is is if you're bringing in those three things I mentioned. Is like you're you're bringing in something that's good quality. You're able to play. You're able, you have a sense of play and able to take direction, and you've got a good attitude. You want to be there. You you know how to you know do that. So. I think if you don't have experience, typically you suffer in one of those areas. But let's, I would, I would just, you know, gain as much experience as you can. Um, I, yeah, think I think that's, that's a good way to put it. I think it. that's yeah. great. I think that's great what Anthony is saying. I think it's basically is like all experience or any experience is good experience as long as it results in good quality work. Yeah. And that's the... That's just long and short of it. Good that's, quality that's work. That's the crux of it, man. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah. 
I, I can say for myself, I had two, uh, when I went to audition, I had three years at that point. I was in high school. I was in the drama department. I definitely auditioned, not auditioned, but I was in all of the high school plays for those three years. I uh, did like some speech tournaments, if anybody's familiar with that speech and debate. So I had done um, competitions for like three years. Um, you know, I had done summer workshops. I think that's a good way to Absolutely. get some experience. Um, so yeah, we could talk about other ways to get experience. Yeah, no, that's great. I think uh, that's actually part of the next question is what do you do to gain experience? And like you said, doing your speech competitions and uh, doing the summer programs. That's great. That's exactly what I did. I went to performing arts high school. So we're definitely, we're doing shows in school. And then like during the summer I was taking classes and I, again, I also came from a different background. Like I was working professionally already before high school. So I had that type of experience, but some of my friends had only school experience, but we both still ended up in top programs. Exactly. So, exactly. so again, it's just that all experience, any experience is good experience, as long as it all results in good quality work. Absolutely. And they're not looking, I think it's important to mention, they're not looking for like a specific type of actor. It's not like you have to have theater experience or you have to have some film experience. Like it's just more like, are you an artist who's ready to learn and ready to play? And there are a lot of artists who um, are, but some of them bring in varying qualities of work and some of them bring in, you know, some of them are holding on to their ideas too tightly and they're not able to take direction. Like, so again, just always go back to those big three. And if you're able to bring in good quality work, able to take direction, got a good attitude, you're going to be on the right track. You know, at that point, just, just work hard with what you got. Good. Excellent. Period. Another question that we get is what schools would we recommend today? I love that question. You know, it's interesting because many of the schools that I auditioned for, and I'm Brandon too, I'm sure, um, are still thumbs up top of the, you know, major, major programs, big time mm -hmm. recommend. So I will just start with those. The, the timeless programs have been great for decades. Juilliard, Carnegie Mellon University, Rutgers University, um, yeah. Boston University. Yeah, for the MFA students out there, uh, Yale, NYU. Um, those have been good for so long. University of North Carolina School of the Arts, um, University of Minnesota. These are BFA programs um, that just have been great forever and are still great. Totally recommend. That being said, there is a massive shift going on right now, and it's very exciting. Everybody knows that the industry is moving faster than ever. It's innovating faster than ever. Where we were five years ago is not where we'll be in five more years. Like, you know, the emergence of streaming platforms has exploded the amount of projects and the amount of jobs that actors can get, albeit they're more interesting jobs, maybe lower paying jobs, maybe more like, you know, not as exposed, you know, the project doesn't have as much exposure because it's so much more spread out as opposed to just like LA, New York. That's where the stuff is like, no, now things are in Vancouver, Chicago, New Mexico, Atlanta, all these places where multiple like, Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon, everything is just so spread out and uh, more unique. So my point is uh, pro certain programs have emerged in the, in the past five to ten years and have really attracted some uh, fantastic faculty. So I think it's worth mentioning some of these kind of emerging programs. Pace University is a wonderful program um, that's coming up. Columbia, if you're an MFA, I should say. The Columbia program is just world-class. Um, there's uh, even a musical theater program that a lot of people haven't heard of, like Western Connecticut is, is interesting. The, when it comes to schools, it's like, there's not, don't think of it as like a top list. Like here's my number one, two, three, four. Who cares about my number one? What you want to do is understand who the majors are and then go make your list because you may respond to the philosophy and the sort of uh, culture at Boston University, which is very ensemble, very, you know, it, it acknowledges really big time the spiritual aspect and the beauty of the craft of theater. Um, or you may be more responsive to like Pace University's philosophy of, hey, 
your first day at class is the first day of your career, right? Not when you graduate, but the, the day you arrive is when your career starts. And they're very much integrated sort of into the industry. You may not get the like kumbaya or, you know, as much as other programs, but Pace is going to try to make you ready for how to market yourself and still give you good training. So I think that there's some really interesting things there. I'm trying to think of like one other program that's like really um, interesting or that has emerged. Um, there's definitely some programs that have, as a result of leadership change, you know, kind of taken an, uh, a direction that I wouldn't recommend anymore. I don't want to bash any schools or anything. And I, and I do think these schools have value, but they've lost faculty that used to be an absolute gem um, and so if you take those folks seriously, you know, they, they moved away from those programs. I know one of my, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, faculty, faculty is a huge uh, factor into decision-making of the type of school that you want to go to, but yeah. understand that again, just as much as you have questions for us, the question you want to then ask yourself is what am I looking for in a school? We can yeah. give you a list of all the programs in the world that we think are good for an individual who is serious about being an actor. But now it's up to you. What are you looking for? Like you said, do you want an academic experience? Do you want a conservatory experience? Do you want a BA experience? Like, what is the type of experience that you're looking for in your curriculum? Because there's yeah, a would, there for you. I would say that as well. Like, there's a top list for conservatory folks who want that rigor. There's a top list for college experience folks who want that like experience on a campus and sororities and fraternities and, and, and other college cool campus life stuff. And then there's a top list for, you know, musical theater folks, you know, like these are different lists based on like what you most respond to. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wrote down here about that. Oh yeah. You know, I just, it's important, like what Brandon said about faculty, like they can be attracted, faculty can be attracted um, or driven away from a school just like students can. So if you trust a certain faculty member or if you've seen that there's like, like, for example, Gary Logan, unbelievable voice coach. He's been the uh, voice coach at the uh, MFA program at the Shakespeare Theater of D.C. for a long time. Before that, he was at the Denver Center for the Arts. Like These are two of the biggest regional theaters in the country. He's been a part of their MFA programs that are attached to them. He just moved to Carnegie Mellon's BFA program. You know? You may not know that unless you knew me or unless you, you know, it's not like it's big news or anything, but like in, in our little world here, it's big news. That's going to make Carnegie Mellon even better than it has been. It's because, you know, he's got a relationship in that program. And now like they're changing the program for the better and they're attracting better faculty. That program is on the rise even more than it already was. Whereas, you know, for example, Cal Arts, my friend, Mary Lou Rosado, maybe the best Shakespeare director and actor in the country ever opinion she was the gem of cal arts she taught shakespeare at a cal arts that attracted so many students and so many faculty she left i don't know why but i know it was because she didn't want to teach there anymore so for whatever reason she left and guess what there was an exodus because so many people trust her and you know yada yada and now cal arts is having to come up with solutions and you know I think that it's important to to uh, pay attention to where the programs are today and not necessarily their reputation over the past five or 10 years, because programs are changing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's well said. I want to mention sorry, one other thing. Uh, if we're on the topic of schools, there's a couple other things here. Backup schools are great. Uh, I don't knock anybody who has backup schools. There's many reasons to have backup schools. I give a thumbs up to you if you need backup schools. Um, those are usually a personal decision. We don't really have recommendations for backup schools. Those come out of um, reasons that are more personal or familial. Like if your parents want you to apply to something that's in state, right? Great. Go ahead. Right. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, what I would say that the golden rule is of choosing schools is that I must apply to only places that if I got into no other places, I would still be happy going there. You know, right. you want to be happy wherever you go. 
And even if you don't get accepted to any other program except that one program, you should still be like, sweet. You know, you should still be happy. So that was my rule. I only applied to places where if I got into no other places, I'd still be happy going here. And for me, I was honest with my parents about that. It wasn't Texas, which is where I'm from. And they were encouraging me to apply to local schools just to, as a backup, you know, and I said, look, I literally would rather skip a year and go work in the real world, learn some stuff, build my character a little bit, make some money, dip my toes into some harsh realities of the real world, and then go audition again, rather than, you know, go to a quote unquote backup school. But again, that is an a hundred percent personal issue. Um, you know, it might also be for financial reasons, you know, there's cheaper schools than others, right? Some schools cost $70,000. So, um, that's a complete personal conversation. And, and, you know, we can always talk about that. Last thing is some people are interested in double majoring. So certain schools allow that certain schools don't be very clear, uh, with whatever schools you're applying to, uh, you know, their their take on that. You don't want to go to a school thinking you can double major or thinking you can have all these extracurricular activities when really that training doesn't is not conducive to that. So if you're interested in double majoring or getting a minor in something, make sure you're going to a school that actually encourages that rather than like that contrasts with what their their training asks of you. Great. Boom. Next question. <laughs> Well, B, we people say this a lot to us. Um, I worked really hard on my pieces. Absolutely worked really hard on your pieces. But let's talk about what does that look like? Yeah, like what is working hard on my pieces? Like, and that's great advice too. If anybody says, "Hey, work hard," it's like as a seventeen-year-old, I don't know if I would have known what that meant. You know, like thanks. You know, I guess I'll just put in more hours. I don't really know what to do with those hours. Uh, you know, but like, fortunately I had some guidance on how to work on my pieces. So I can relay some of that here, you know, as an artist, you want to discover deeper layers all the time. That's what you're looking for. You're looking to uncover something in a given moment. You want to, you know, throw spaghetti against the wall and see if there's any emotional um, moments that, you know, all of a sudden make sense. And the more you discover, the more you can discover. So it's like, if you just play around and you kind of make a choice and you commit to this and that, you can use your time to sort of find um, truth and find interesting choices that Look, you're an artist. Things will come out of you if you if you play. And every artist has the ability to to kind of have that third eye, the one that's kind of watching yourself as you're performing. You you, you know, that's a finicky relationship because you want to make sure mm -hmm. that doesn't get in the way. But at the same time, mm -hmm. anytime like some we we ask our students to do exercises, like uh let's say a melodramatic exercise where they let go of what they think they should be doing with the piece and they just over theatricalize every word with their body with their voice every and by doing that exercise they're kind of sensitive to maybe a moment that they didn't explore before and they're like actually I could incorporate that you know so as an artist what does hard work look like it means putting in more hours but it means putting in hours that are good quality hours and good quality hours means you're looking for new things that the piece can offer. You know, uh, I don't know if that's like totally clear, but you want to stay malleable. You want to, you want to stay malleable. And I think one tip I would give for um, working hard on something is fully commit. Like this was even said to us at Juilliard. They don't want to see you come in with timid choices, right? They'd yeah. rather see you bring in too much and have to pull you back rather than see you bring in like something that's easy for you and try to push you forward. Absolutely. Tell my students all the time that I would way rather you be too big, too much, because then I could tone you down. But if you come in and you give me too little, 
I didn't know you could even go that far and to begin to begin with. Absolutely. And like, you know, so especially when you're working on your piece, when like you're not there in the pressure where you're actually auditioning, especially when you're alone and you kind of have the freedom to make mistakes like, you know, you can always make mistakes. But like my point is when you really have just full exploration mode, um, fully commit. If if, if a, a mentor or a peer or a coach gives you a, a, a suggestion like that's uh, the only way you will know that if the choice works or not. That's right. That's right. And, and guess what? Choose. When you discover something, you're like, wow, that was awesome. I'm going to incorporate that. That gives you then permission to then explore even more. I remember one of the pieces was um, this piece where I had to like see uh, this this guy out my front window. Uh, he, he was a celebrity and my character was obsessed with this celebrity. And he was so excited to see this celebrity in his front lawn because he lived next door. My character lived next door to Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand was having a party. And so my character was super obsessed with who was arriving at the party. And this guy who arrived um, was named Henry Kissinger. Well, Henry Kissinger, to me, Anthony, doesn't really get me 100% excited. So I needed to find something that would actually get me really excited if I saw him in my neighbor's yard. And for me at the time, Kevin Klein was, a. I just was immediately coming to mind. So I made that personal connection and guess what happened the next time I said those lines? I flipped my shh, you know what? <laughs> you know, like I was super emotionally connected because I personalized it and like I was able to take the time to explore like what is that for me? How, what, where, where am I here in this monologue? So that's what quality work is. That's what hard work is. You want to work hard and you want to work towards quality work. So I discovered that for myself and that allowed me to then unlock the next discovery because I was so dropped into that moment in my monologue that the next, you know, thing kind of just organically came out of that high emotion. And you go, wow, like this is flowing now, you know, you want to try to look for those moments of breakthrough where you can kind of flow into a deeper level. And then when you bring that in, you think you're going to be nervous? You know, you're going to be excited. You're going to have the nerves, which means you care. So the nerves are always going to be good. But you're going to be excited to drop into those emotions. And you're not going to feel the pressure to try to perform an idea. You're going to be more just going through the experience of the intense moment of this monologue. So anyway, I, I hope that's clear. I think that's super, super clear. Super yeah. clear. Um, so we all know that when auditioning for either a acting program or even a, uh, a musical theater program, that they require a song. So when the audition requires a song, does it uh -huh. need to be from a musical theater show? And also, yeah. what if you don't have a good voice? <laughs> like, like me when I, when I auditioned? Yeah, I, uh, both of those questions were super in my mind and, and they're still super in today's folks' minds. Um, it doesn't need to be from a musical theater show, but that's always good. Um, the reason why is because musical theater shows are, are musicals, which means like they are structured and the songs are written because they are em heightened emotional moments. And that's what we want to see when you sing a song. We want to see how you relate your emotions like how do you handle a heightened moment that is expressed through song we don't want to see you sing um just some sort of like laid back hippie song and we're not like listening for your voice we're listening and you know you've you've showed us how you express a contemporary monologue you've showed us how you handle a classical piece which is very different and now we want to see how you handle a song like these are different mediums of expression we still want the most interesting, most personally connected pieces that you resonate with and that charge you up emotionally, that, that are part of a scene. Like, it doesn't have to be from a musical, but musicals will be super thumbs up. So find something that you love from a musical is what I'd recommend. However, if it, like there's people in my own class, me and Brandon's class, who sang Happy Birthday and got into our class. So, but... And I was not in their audition, so I can't say this for sure. But my guess is they fully 
committed. And yeah. there was a scene happening, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it wasn't like they were literally just singing something blah. That's That's not good quality work. Absolutely. That's not good quality work. And then also some people like stray away from musical theater, turn their nose up at it because it's like song and dance. But the song and dance comes out of the opportunity or comes out of the opportunity in the character. Character doesn't know what else to do. There's no other way to express themselves except for through song. Mm-hmm. Song is the only way they're going to be able to communicate this feeling, this emotion that I have. Yeah. And that's all it is. That's all these, uh, these schools want to see. If you can tell a story through song. Yeah, and these, just like your contemporary and your classical pieces, these characters have the urge to communicate very strongly in that moment. That needs to be present in your song. I mean, it it doesn't, it should be. If you want good quality, if you want the best chances, like choose a song that you respond to that is charged so that this character like has to, what Brandon said, just, has no other way to go except through song. I remember, um, and then just act the crap out of it, man. I mean, act <laughs> the crap out of it is, is my personal advice. Like my story was I chose a song from a musical damn Yankees. I played the coach, um, because I did in an actual production. And so it was, the, I could not sing. I did not know how to sing. I had bad voice actually because um, I played baseball all my life. And so I was just used to screaming and cheering for my teammates and, you know, I ripped up my vocal cords. And so um, Mm. I basically didn't have a good quality voice. I was never in choir. I never, you know, was the lead in the musical, but I was given this part in the musical, which was kind of a small part, but he had one song and the song was, you got to have heart. And it's not that complicated of a song. It's not, too many long notes, but it it showcased enough of a long note. And then I acted the crap out of it. (laughs) I just could not, you know, you want to just sell it, you know? So it's, it's like, I'm an actor. I can be in a scene. I can express through song. I can express through contemporary language. I can express through classical. I play, I commit. And even if, you know, I remember them saying like, that's enough that, that thank you. And I was just like, yes, you know, that, that's what I have. And I got accepted. So, um, you know, I think that's enough for this song. I hope that's helpful. Totally, totally helpful. Totally helpful. We've kind of gotten down to like our last two questions, which are kind of one and the same in a way. So it's the do's and the don'ts of auditioning. And also, do you have any tips for the day of the audition? Yeah, sure. Do's and don'ts. First thing I would definitely say um, is always go back to those big three. So when it comes to what to do, always just, you know, you're in, you're in good territory. If you're bringing in the highest quality work, you're able to take direction and play and be present. And then you have a good attitude. So that's always definitely you. And then I would say like kind of the first big do is <laughs> the first big do is um, be you. Too many, too many people think that they have to be someone else that the school wants when really if you are you the school will want that um and and the right school will want that that's the sort of trust that you have to have is that by being you and you know mentally putting your chest out right being like this is me fully committed I love this. I'm going to play. I am excited to get into this school. I am ready. Let's play. By doing that, you might not get called back to every school. That's okay. But guess what? You'll get the results that are right for you if you show up. If you try to be what the school wants or what you – there is nothing the school, like, particularly wants. Like, so that's already a bad direction. You're literally just blocking – like what's unique about you. So I, I think I don't want to belabor that, but be you choose pieces that you respond to uh, walk in the room with, you know, the pride that you have and play with your spirit, uh, make choices that, that you would make. Um, I did write a couple things down. I don't know if this is helpful, but like, you're not like everyone else, right? You can play an idea of someone, but then you're really not going to stand out. Your enthusiasm is way more interesting. Your expression, how you express things is way more interesting. Your connection to the piece, 
your love for art. We want to hear that, right? And by we, I mean the schools want to hear that. That's the most interesting stuff. So be 100% present and be 100% you. Um, definitely another do would be um, do whatever you need to feel good about your quality of work. Not everybody's the same. This is art, man. My process to reach the, the highest quality of work where I can feel confident and feel like I've left it all in the rehearsal room and now I'm ready to play, that may be different for me than it is for anyone else. So my second like do is uh, do whatever you need to do to bring in quality work. Um, and that kind of goes to your second question of what tips do you have for the day of? Yeah. Look, if you need to meditate or if you need to do yoga or if you need to run around the block or if you need to do a physical warm up or if you need to just be silent in your headphones or if you need to socialize and talk to this or that, do what you need to do to feel ready to rock. Um, not only on the day of, but to, to get to the point during your preparation, do what you need to do. Do not hold anything back. Um yeah, an imagination. I can't believe we haven't even said that word yet, but this is a good time to say it. Do have a strong imagination. Um, that is the key. You know, I think if and you, know, you can't really – go ahead, yeah. No, I was just going to say it's just one of those words that goes into quality work. It goes into yes. quality of work. The quality of your work will be of to standard of caliber if uh, there is an imagination to it. And it also goes back to what Anthony's saying about being malleable. Being malleable in your piece means that you have an open concept of imagination. Yeah. You have the blueprint of a piece. You have the blueprint of a, of a play that the writer's giving you, the who, what, when, where, and why. That's the blueprint. But there's so many different ways that you can tell this story, but, but still staying in the box that was created for us. And the box is a great thing. Those constraints. The box is a great they, thing. They let us know where we, we can't go above and beyond this because then the story is no longer based in reality. And furthermore, it's no longer based in the facts that the playwright has given us. I've never tried to define talent because it is a murky thing. And I don't think it's useful really to like define talent because you can't really grow your talent. Your talent never diminishes um, only your skill, you know? So I always used to think, okay, and this was helpful for me. I have talent. I don't know how much, <laughs> um, whatever. <laughs> it's not in my control. That's 50% of basically what makes me a good actor. 50% is, is talent. Uh, 50%, the other 50% is hard work and my skill, which I do have a hundred percent control of. So I'm not going to worry about how much talent I have. Cause you know, I don't know. There's, there's evidence in my life that shows me I have a lot. There's also evidence in my life that shows me I don't have a lot. For example, I was never cast as a lead in high school. Mm. So going into college auditions, I never played a lead. Um, so that was evidence that I didn't have talent, but there's other evidence that I do. So it's like, you don't really know. Don't think about it. Let it go. Let it be. Just show up with your chest out. Right. Then the other 50% is skill. Now, skill is something you absolutely can develop. You need to become aware of what the skills are. You need to go play and fail and get coaching and trial and error with as many skills as possible to find out what skills, you know, you can really grow in and, and what suit you. But what I was going to originally say is I've never defined talent, but if I were to put words like that are as close to the word talent as I possibly could, like whenever you see talented people or whenever you go, wow, you know, it's because two words come to mind, imagination and specificity. Mm. Somehow, some way a talented person can always imagine something and immediately imagine something specific. Right. And like, the way it smelled, the way it felt. Yep. Like it, yeah, exactly. And, and, and discover so many specific things by being just given a suggestion. And the so only thing that allows yeah. you to go there is uh, the let go. The let go yeah. of the vulnerability is to like, I'm going to allow myself to dive deep into this and to feel it, to experience it. And so then I can give a true replication of it. 
Yeah, my, my true replication of it, right? Absolutely, because you know? that's what it is. Because that's what these auditions are. That's what these monologues are. It's your you have uh, crafted your best interpretation of this character's moment in life. Yeah, and that's so, what yeah. Let your imagination be on full display. Don't ever hold it back. If someone says, "Hey, can you do that piece again?" I think that was really good. Um, you know, I'd like you to really see the person you're talking to see uh, your best friends well it's not hard for me and, and hopefully it's not hard for you you should be able to imagine your best friends right there you should be able to see what their eye color is so imagination bursts and and and, and being specific with what you're imagining and allowing that specificity to work on you I don't know what school wouldn't be attracted to that you know, so that's 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 a good guidepost, I think, for for that. Uh, here's another do. Mm. Have an audition flow. This is something that I recommend. It's it's not like a rule or anything, but it just it helps artists. Artists can be thrown um, off or whatever. And if you have an audition flow, and what I mean by that is having like a, a, a chosen structure of how you're going to flow from monologue one to monologue two, for example, when they say, okay, you know, Brandon, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Do you know how to take the room? Do you know how to go, you know, nod your head, take a moment, take a breath, connect to the character you're about to speak to and you know, be in that emotional, drop in emotionally and go. And then when you're finished with monologue one, do you know how to end the piece, transition into the second piece, or do you go, I'm finished with monologue one, here I go into monologue two. Like there's no transition, there's no flow, and it's like jarring. Mm -hmm. So I, I would encourage an audition flow. I wrote this about, about this in my book. I wrote the exact audition flow I did. Um, and you can use that. You can use some version of it. We, when we coach people, we definitely give them a flow so that they can kind of feel good in the structure of the audition and let their emotions and let their uh, artistic choices and impulses be free within that structure Absolutely. so that it, it's easy to watch. And it's also still completely charged up. You don't want to be like, um, if they say, okay, go ahead. And you don't want to be like, oh, okay. Um, like, now or is this a good spot to stand like like you don't want to be doing weird stuff like that you want to go ownership of the room it's very important to know that it is your time it's your time time that they've set aside specifically for you and you walk in there and we absolutely have a formula of way how you walk in introduce yourself introduce your pieces a way to talk about your pieces um all of that is something that we go through with in the coaching sessions which i think is really important because Presentation is the first thing that an actor has. It's the way yep. they present themselves. And you're walking into the room, that's the first thing they're seeing. And if you can sit there and you can articulate your feelings about not only the craft, but then the pieces that you've prepared, I think it speaks uh, well on your behalf. It does. It does. You want to give yourself the best chance. Um, as you, you were talking, it reminded me of like things we see in the coaching sessions. Here's some don'ts. All right. <laughs> Here's some don'ts. One, I have four don'ts right off the bat. And I think we have blogs or, or videos or, or something about this. Um, if we don't, we need to post those. Um, yeah. Four, I call them bad habits of mediocre actors. Okay. Mm -hmm. These are the reason why I'm kind of uh, blunt with that term is because they're actually easy to get rid of. But some people are not aware of them, that, that they do these bad habits because they kind of rely on them or their tricks or something. So if you... Uh, can gain some awareness around these bad habits. Try to, you know, avoid them in the rest of your acting for the rest of your life. First one is uh, happy feet. I call it happy feet, where mm. Mm. your feet are just they're shuffling when you're every time you emphasize a word, like your feet like kind of shift a little bit. You you kind of like have all this like extra energy kind of going through your feet. You're not able to just, you know. And guess where I'm looking. I'm not looking at your eyes, right? you know, and do you want the squirrels looking at your feet? You know, like 
especially when you're doing it unintentionally. So make sure as, as funny as it is, like just be aware of your feet and make sure that if you do take a step left or a step right, or if you run around or if you even shift, make sure you do that as a choice, not involuntarily. Absolutely. Physicality. 100%. Another one that's a bad habit, uh, over gesturing. Now this is a very common one, even in professional actors, but you, you, you can get rid of it. And as long as you become aware of it, you know, and ask your coaches to kind of keep an eye out for it. Um, over gesturing is, is what the classic bad acting is. Like if you say like, you don't understand me. Well, a lot of people will point their index finger at the other character when they say, you don't understand me. Like ask yourself, that's a very obvious gesture. And it kind of diminishes perhaps the impact of that moment. You could actually convey the the thought and the emotion behind that thought better without the gesture. And it's not like that gesture was interesting. It's not like it was like, oh, okay, that kind of like rounded out. I didn't even, okay, that gesture was revealing. No, it was just an obvious gesture. You pointing to someone across, you don't understand me. It's like, okay, that's an over gesture. Or there's a lot of like similar to the happy feet, there's like happy hands. So this is over gesturing as well, where like every everything you say, whenever you emphasize something, your hands kind of like fly out a little bit, you know, uh, and it's just like there's this energy that's flying out of your hands every time you you emphasize and it's not supporting the emotional journey of the character. And it, we kind of get distracted. Absolutely. And I think also what's happening is uh, the, the, the overall theme of the two don'ts I think you're talking about is trusting that the words will do the work, trusting that we, you have been equipped now with these tools through your training, that the words will do the work, that the story is already there. We don't need extra extra motions or extra gesticulations to help emphasize the words. That's if right. you understand the story that you're telling, then the words in your acting will totally portray the authenticity of the emotional state that your character is in. Yes. And, and I'll say, you know, just because I'm this kind of actor, I don't like to be restricted. Okay. Well, okay. They told me I can't over gesture. So I'm just not going to gesture and I'm just going to like try to hold everything. And I got this tension, but apparently this is good acting. Like, no, uh, for me, I need to actually go through all the over gesturing. I need to like have time in my exploration phases where I'm just over gesturing almost on purpose just to get it all out because gestures are uh, part of our behavior, of our, our physical behavior. And, and they are meaningful, especially in art, but make sure they're meaningful. Make sure that, you know, I had a piece, uh, Richard II, and in the piece, he's saying, God save the king. Will no man say amen? Am I both priest and clerk? Well, then, amen. God save the king. Now, I didn't move. Uh, I, I just channeled, like Brandon said, all my emotions and all my energy into the words of the piece, except during that moment. I made one gesture when, when he says, um, God save the king. Will no man say amen? Am I both priest and clerk? Well, then. And I go, and the next word is amen. So I said, well, then. And I raised my right hand as kind of like a lightning bolt of power to the sky. Amen. And <laughs> that gesture meant something. Absolutely. Right? So Absolutely. Those are the choice. make your gestures mean something. Exactly. Try okay. to do that. And then, um, you know, whatever. It's a great exercise what you're talking about in terms of, I think it's great when you're working on your pieces, one time do it too big. Do it too big. Be too much. Too big. Sometimes we find things. We find some moments in our, our, our extremes. We find uh, some things that are actually help ground us. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. Um, two other very quick things, cry talking and audible breathing. Um, cry talking is when you basically intellectually understand that the character could be crying here and you actually try to force it when you're not even feeling the overpour of emotion that is crying. Um, so 
like it sounds like this like i love you uh, why why don't you tell me what you feel like it just it's horrible to listen to and it's like an impersonation yeah it's an impersonation so i think that's a we can just leave it at that hopefully you're you're who are listening are, are are beyond that but just you know that is something that a lot of schools will see and you know don't be a part of that crowd audible breathing uh another thing that kind of happens with youngsters you know you want like breath is your friend breathing in your own rhythm is your friend but we see a lot of this we see a lot of like mary why didn't you come with me over exacerbated like this oh it's like almost all the emotion is saved up for the for this breath wait no put that emotion in the words absolutely because that once you do that big that big exhale in the middle of your piece you've pushed out all of your energy you've taken all of the energy all your emotional the stuff that you've built up inside you and you've just thrown it away you you breathed it out as opposed to taking that and putting some words on that breath yeah even sounds Yes, putting some words on that sound, and it goes back to uh, like the O's in Shakespeare. The O's in Shakespeare is because they have they have reached such a height in their emotional state that they don't know they have no words to express <laughs> themselves except for oh, oh, right. oh, right, right, oh, absolutely. That's exactly well, that's, what it is. Yeah, and that's what you know. That's the difference between advanced actors and not. So. You, you, you have the ability, if you're auditioning for colleges, you have the ability to be there rather than saying, well, you know, look, I'm not that advanced yet. Look, you, you can be. That's a simple concept. So make sure you don't, you know, nobody does that in real life. You know, if, if nobody's going, like, if you've heard us throughout this whole thing, we've been breathing pretty intensely. I think we're impassioned here, but you haven't heard us audibly breathe. Um. Uh, the only time someone would audibly breathe is if you're literally like expressing kind of like what Brandon said, the O in Shakespeare, where it's like, oh, you know, that's actually expressing something that's interesting, not just, uh, 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 you know, fighting, you know, whatever. All right, we can move on. Okay. <laughs> Here's a don't. Don't apologize for your work. I'll let that one sink in. Some mm. of you, not all of you, but some of you are very sensitive about your work and you think that you never could be that good. So you want to make sure that you apologize after you do your work, just, you know, just in case, like it wasn't perfect. And it's just like, don't cover your ass like that. You are bringing the best you can. That's it. Stand with your chest out. You don't need to be like falsely confident. Like, that was awesome, wasn't it? You know, that's that's all, that's the opposite extreme. Just Absolutely. learn to exist and be okay with your work at all times. That's something that I would encourage you to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, don't apologize. Don't apologize. Um, do follow the audition requirements, please. Uh, and I, I know I can probably speak on behalf of the schools when I say that. Follow the audition requirements. Please don't do a four-minute monologue when they ask for a two-minute. Please don't do a two-minute monologue when they ask for a one-minute. And, you know, if they do ask for a Shakespeare, please do a Shakespeare. If they, if they, you know, ask for some a modern monologue that's, you know, published in a play, please do a monologue that's from a play. Don't do a monologue that you wrote, right, or that's not from a play. So do follow the audition requirements. Each school is has very subtle differences, so make sure to visit each school's website. And, and write it down if you have to, like understand the audition requirements and don't um, depart from those. Uh, last thing I have here for do's and don'ts is don't shrink. Um, it's much better, like we said earlier, to just give them more and allow them to pull you back rather than like just walk in with, you know, your head kind of your chin toward your chest or your shoulders up by your ears or, or walking kind of quickly, you know, just all these shrinking mechanisms, you know, don't shrink. And, and conversely be you. So instead of shrinking, be you, you know how to walk into a room. You have fun with friends. You know how to be you 
That's who we want to see walk into the room. So make sure you know how to do that. If you have to practice that, do. I remember practicing my audition flow, and it required me to practice walking into the space where my coach was sitting. And you know, if you have to practice that, go ahead. But make sure you're not walking in there with like a an apologetic um, physicality. 100%. 100%. I think it's what, great. What a conversation, man. Man, these are really important stuff. And like, uh, it's really important stuff that if you guys can really take and you can really internalize and think about and see how it applies to you, you will for sure be able to get into the school of your dreams. Because there, there are tons of programs out there and there are tons of dreamers, there are tons of actors, and you're one of them. And you deserve to be able to find the program that best fits you to give you the artistic uh, tools that you need to have a career, not just a hobby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we'll wrap it up. I'll just say, like, just remember, you are your own instrument, and you should take that seriously, develop it as um, fully as you can, and, and, and try to let it express as much as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what they want to see. Absolutely. I think that's great. It's great. It's true. Well, that's about it for now. Maybe we'll do this again some other time, but I hope this was valuable for everybody. Thank you, Brandon, for chiming in. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for listening. I hope this is helpful and uh, we'll see you in a session soon. Yes. See you guys.